0: This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners.
1: Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable.
0: We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred.
1: Insurance as a concept, as a kind of service,
0: is brilliant. The execution
1: is what we're looking at now.
0: I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product. Right? It's got to be easy, it's got to be seamless.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to the Emerging Tech series of the Leadership and Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Savage, and on this podcast, we speak to technology founders, executives and leaders from the world of insure tech. And today, I am very lucky to be joined by Tom Beale, the CTO of Converge. Welcome, Tom. How are you doing? Hi, Gavin. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, great. Very good. Um, first podcast back since uh, returning from a, a two-week holiday in Spain, so I'm hoping I'm not too rusty, but um, but you were away somewhere recently too, weren't you?
0: Uh, yeah, well, I, I was in New York last week for some work. So that's uh, the, the recent trip, um, but uh, I took some time off before that. My dad came over from the UK to see me in the US. So nice. That was nice. Didn't go anywhere. Staycation with my dad.
1: <laughs> well, when you when you live in San Francisco, I don't suppose you need to go many places.
0: No, no, no. We've got everything
1: here, so we're very lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, fantastic. Well, Tom, as I always like to start uh, these podcasts, uh, I think it's just always a nice place. Uh, a brief introduction from yourself would be great. You know, just a little bit about your background. You know your your journey into tech uh, as a whole, taking his way back, and also how you ended up um, working in the world of insure tech.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. I was very fortunate to start my career in uh, penetration testing, kind of early days, uh, as that service offering was starting up, Um, really cut my teeth on the security side of things, uh, assessing companies, implementation of technology, uh, and testing that. Um, It was a great way to see how things are done very well and how things are done not very well, Um, and uh, kind of went through the process, obviously, of building out experience in that um, part of, of my career, um, as alongside that, security consulting as well, more broadly with sort of compliance requirements and compliance needs. Um, spent a lot of time writing reports on findings in that space and kind of working with customers to remediate those issues. Um, went into starting my own businesses then, so uh, started my own company providing secure hosting. Um, it was a little bit before kind of cloud really existed. So we offered uh, something equivalent to what the cloud is today. Uh, secure email, secure proxying, secure messaging, uh, email filtering, that kind of thing. Um, and then from there, uh, went back into some of the information security and pen testing side of things uh, for enterprise. Um, started another company where we were providing more digital data on the findings from things like a security audit, a pen test um, to enterprise plans. Um, During that process of my journey, uh, we were approached by some insurers and they were very interested to understand, um, the risk of an insured as part of an insurance transaction. Um, So we actually pivoted that business into a more insurance analytics focused offering, um, built out a a SaaS analytics platform um, where we provided um individual risk selection functionality as well as uh, building out some loss models. Um, left that business to join a larger software company here in the Bay Area, uh, worked there on the analytics uh, team um, and was involved with uh, data collection analytics for uh, larger kind of underwriting and claims workflow software, um, which then led me to Converge, uh, joined Converge uh, just under two years ago. Um, Brought on to
1: build out our engineering team and
0: build out our digital platform. So it's been an interesting journey.
1: Yeah, yeah, quite a journey and just interesting. You started off in pen testing. The thing that I uh, cut my teeth on way back when I started recruitment was pen testers in the UK because they were awfully difficult to find. Um, Very tough market, I'm sure. You'll be able to echo that sentiment. Um, but yeah, an interesting problem space that unveils, as you say, it, a lot. You learn a lot from it. And then the whole journey through um the world of SaaS, and um I don't think you mentioned but Guidewire, and from GuideWire to to Converge, it's, uh, it's been quite a journey. And look, for for those that I know we had um on the original series uh, Thomas Kang from the CEO of Converge on, but for those that maybe haven't heard that yet and are tuning into the tech series would you mind just explaining a bit more about Converge and, and what the business does?
0: Yeah absolutely um, yeah we're, we're we're a Insured Tech MGA um, we are a very uh, interesting blend of engineering and insurance professionals um, we started the company with you know the goal to fuse those two pieces together and and really offer some interesting coverage options and different um types of products to our customers um really and again i'm saying it again but really focusing on making sure that the, the insurance professionals are supported by technology and technology supported the other way um, and that that blend of expertise comes together and, and really helps the customer um and our you know, brokers and partners so um we we are very tech enabled, but with a very big emphasis on
1: underwriting. Mm. Thank you. And, you know, the space of cyber within insurance for me is actually one as I've navigated, um, you know, the past 12 months working in insurance and insure tech, one that's just quite fascinating to me, you know, it's up there with the likes of other trends that we're seeing within, for example, climate tech and how, how we ensure weatherable events, et cetera. But, like the whole cyber events, cyber attacks, the evolution of risk quantification within insurance is, there's always been a bit, it seems like a bit of a, an enigma in insurance. Like how do we insure it? How do we quantify that risk into dollar value? You know, what you're touching on there, it converge building loss models without, the challenge is building it without the data, i.e., you know, within cyber attacks or climate, there's no data there to back up insurers to insure it. Like, I'd love to hear a little bit more from you about how you tackled this issue and and what methods you used in in, in building these loss models without that data.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can sort of answer that from two perspectives. There's my previous uh, life in the more analytics focused realm. Um, We had similar challenges there where we're offering loss models more broadly, not for necessarily our own use case like we are now as an MGA, but to our customers. Um, I mean, challenges there with cyber are, I mean, there's two different areas within the kind of modeling space. There's the frequency severity pieces. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, from experience, like frequency is actually not too bad. There's uh, there's plenty of good cyber data. It's fairly well kind of curated and it's available at scale to help uh, understand that frequency piece. The severity piece is the problem. And, you know, the really kind of the challenges there are um, around kind of losses and time frame of losses. And um, in the analytics world, definitely we spent time looking at kind of slightly less obvious systems for that data set. So looking at, you know, accounting and invoicing systems and uh, kind of talking more with legal uh, services and, and, and law firms to understand um, some of the impacts of that claims process, the time frames and the costs at quite a granular level can help with that severity piece. Uh, obviously you need that data at scale to be meaningful, but you're having to kind of look at systems that aren't necessarily a cyber data set or even necessarily like an insurance data set. It's, it's more that accounting piece and, and, and maybe some of that legal area. So that was an interesting piece on the analytics side. Within an MGA, obviously we're more fortunate. We've got a claims, uh handling process we have a claims team so we have claims data on our site that's very specific to our coverages and our underwriting process and one of the things we've been doing um heavily is to bring that together and make sense of that in the same space so putting a lot of effort into our data models how we curate collect and, and store that and make sense of that data has been a big piece of how we build out our platform um Obviously, once you've got good data, you've got good access to data, you've, got, you've made good sense of data, um, applying that to you know, scoring and modelling uh, becomes easier because it makes sense and, and we can do investigations and see whether there's correlation and, and, and reasonable kind of ways to move forward in that area. So and that's really been our main focus is making sure we've got a good foundation to go from and really kind of create that feedback loop of underwriting data, underwriting actions, claims data and claims actions kind of working together. Um, that that really gives us a good view of, of how we're doing as a business specifically.
1: Mm, interesting. And I mean, again, the, the space that is, you know, cyber attacks, cyber events, you know, when we, because I think it converge, correct me if I'm wrong, you work with large organizations, but you really focus on small to medium enterprises. Um, you know, CISOs or chief security people within these organizations we see them picking up you know quant risk or risk quantification you know to try and tackle cyber events but I think that failure to understand the the value in it um I still see a bit of a challenge there like for you you know starting out in Converge and to where you guys are now like what's where where do you think the gaps are within cyber risk management, both from a quant and tech perspective? like are there any obvious ones or any trends that you're you're kind of seeing at the moment?
0: I mean, definitely, uh, I mean, when you get into small businesses, um, there's kind of two pieces to it. offering a service that you have to off your own back pick up and do something with and spend time on really is quite a challenge for that small company they're, they're, they're trying to make revenue and succeed and survive. I mean, they're, they have other focus areas. So, you know, traditionally, I think we've offered like services to people as part of a package and that's worked to a degree, but it requires the, 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 the company to actually take action off their own back. Definitely what I'm seeing with requiring companies to obtain insurance or do certain things with certain controls contractually or. You know, from a regulatory perspective, has really helped bake that into the way they do business. Um, so that's definitely one area. It's kind of a forcing function, but it it definitely has helped us see obviously an uptick in SMB submissions and requests for insurance. And we're seeing very specific limits because of contractual requirements, for example. Um, from a controls perspective, that's definitely happening too. Um, where I'm also seeing kind of an interesting space is where well. we're obviously seeing small companies utilize very powerful cloud platforms embedding some of these controls into those spaces and making it very easy to implement those into your technology stack as a small company is key um it's a it's a low friction way to to make sure that controls are being implemented
1: mm. so do you feel like the the kind of reticence of cyber insurance is is really not there anymore because again small to medium businesses, you know, they have there will be things that they're trying to focus heavily on and there's things that are nice things to have and and I always think cyber's in that nice to have. It's like it probably will never happen to us. It's low frequency. You know, it could be high impact, but you know, who's going to attack us? You know, who's going to want to hack into us and provide a cyber that probably not. So we'll just leave that for down the line. Like do you see that reticence still there when you approach businesses or do you think people are really on top of it now and 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 definitely put in the top three four things that they must have
0: I think it's definitely much more prominent in people's minds I mean ransomware has helped no end to like really bring that home it's you know it doesn't discriminate it's pretty broadly rolled out I mean if you're running a vulnerable version of something you can easily become a victim Attackers are very sophisticated in making you click a link, transferring some funds, you know, like they're getting pretty good at that side of things. And I think we've all seen those emails come in on a daily basis. And some of them you have to double take and that, you know, they're they're an obvious entry point. And I think people are very much more aware of the risk of that happening, um, especially kind of senior leaders within those smaller businesses. Um, Boards are definitely more conscious of it. Um, It's a conversation topic that comes up frequently, but as I was saying, like contractually, if you want, if you're a small business and you want to work with another business, we are seeing a lot more, you know, requirement to have insurance, cyber insurance specific coverage, as well as other insurance coverage um, for you to even sort of enter into that transaction with the other party, and that's helping kind of drive the the kind of need for insurance but as part of that offering in the cyberspace we obviously work with you know those companies to to, to talk about controls and, and there's risk management as part of that so um coming up with a very frictionless way of um going through that process with that insured uh, is is important but that requirement to have it is definitely helping a lot mm.
1: and how does the process for you know going through a uh... You know, assessing one's infrastructure, assessing one's, you know, need for uh, for cyber insurance and, and, and that resiliency in there. You know, you guys, it's quite clear. You it's it's all about, you know, frictionless. It's easy. It's accessible. For for you guys, where is the kind of differentiator and what you're providing? It's a very competitive market now. We're seeing more and more and more, um, of these types of companies trying to solve this problem. And bring a more easy route to market to be insured from a cyber perspective like what is it that stands you guys out is it is it the tech stack is it is it is it really the technology behind it that's really powering this to be so efficient
0: It's a bit of both so we've spent a lot of time really kind of breaking out um how we perceive the risk of an insured on our side and mapping that to our coverages and that's important from a uh, understanding kind of the impact of how we structure what we're offering in a quote option and coverages associated. So that's a kind of insurance plus tech thing. On the tech side, you know, we, we we've really pushed hard on building out a true platform, architecting something that's scalable, so that as an insure tech MGA starting out, we have the flexibility to try out new ideas, try out new insurance products quickly. Um, There's a lot of interesting movement in this space. Um, The technology allows us to be more, um, trying to think of the word, lost my train of thought, Uh, (laughs) trying to be a a little bit more kind of um, nimble in the way that we offer and package up new kind of products. And when I talk about products, they're insurance products. So, you know, we'll have an insurance, we have insurance professionals that know that side of the market and they're very interested to try out these new ideas if they don't have a flexible extendable scalable tech stack behind them um that really isn't possible um we don't want to go into a space where well we've got this new offering we want to bring to the market it's going to take us six to twelve months to bring you know package it up and get it out there um we we've architected a platform that allows us to load in these new ideas and kind of get them out to market quicker so for us that that obviously helps us, you know, adapt, um, according to market conditions, but also offer new, uh, more exciting kind of options there in the, on the internet side from a cyber perspective. Um, it's important as well on the tech side, um, you know, to, to focus on that real time assessment piece, um, as well as maintaining an on, ongoing assessment of the risks that you have as part of your portfolio. Um, we are, a transactional platform for underwriting and claims management but there's a big analytics piece to it too there's a lot of data collection there's a lot of assessment going on to manage the 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 performance of our portfolio as we grow that out so it's transactional plus analytics platform together Um, all of that's built to do real-time analytics and real-time data collection and real-time assessment so our underwriting flow is a real-time process. The system is helping the underwriter go through a process to underwrite um, either manually or automatically um, as part of that transaction. Um, so a big goal of that is you know, turnaround time and automation.
1: Mm. And so, I mean, what's, what is turnaround time for you guys at the moment? You mentioned six to 12 months being potentially maybe a, an older process style or what clients are used to. Like, How quickly can, can you guys turn that around with your real-time analytics and, you know, extensive tech platform It's, I'd imagine, fairly quick?
0: Oh, and in, I mean, transactionally, I mean, on a sort of submission side of things, at the probably most granular level, I mean, you're looking at minutes. Um, wow. Uh, that's important because we want throughput and it's a volume. In SMB, it's a volume thing. So turnaround time is really important. There's a lot of automation in there that obviously really helps with the volume approach too. Um, when you get into more complex, um, you know, the larger account underwriting processes that still applies, but you know, we're there to kind of help the underwriter collect the data that they need more manually in the space. But it's the same, same kind of transaction flow at that point. So turnaround time at that level is really key. Like we want to receive a submission, we want to do an assessment, we want to do our collection, we want to get some pricing options and we want to get a quote back. That's key to scale in that uh, SMB space um in terms of turnaround time for product development and you know offering new insurance products to market I mean we've spent a lot of time in our platform coding out a no code approach for us to deploy configurations for products so obviously our our goal as an MGA is to onboard more capacity providers quickly and uh brokers quickly so we, we they're our lifeblood so we, we we really you know want to be able to offer you know the configuration options and the, and the kind of parameters of those relationships quickly so you know we're, we're looking at sort of being able to spin up some of those um different options you know within weeks or at most months not six to 12 months so it's a important way that we grow as an MGA is is to be able to do that
1: yeah and from a claims perspective, I mean, is that I always think the the onboarding is, you know, so impressive what the likes of you guys can do and others and um, that are innovating and insure type, but I sometimes often feel like it's obviously bad for insurance if we speed the claims up or we get better at it in a way. Um it's quite funny. But you know, are you guys in control? You're obviously being an MGA, usually the claims goes back to the insurer and the insurer pays out like do you guys have some sort of capacity to you know influence that claims process at all on the off the back of a, a cyber event
0: yeah so we have an in-house claims team so we do <laughs> yeah. process our claims um obviously we work with our capacity provider and insurer as well yeah. but we do process claims in-house and it's a big part of that feedback loop i mentioned earlier um we provide and collect a lot of features and data around underwriting um, but when you apply that to the claims process as well in-house, you've got a really nice feedback from a from an efficiency standpoint and process standpoint amongst the company. But you know, behind all of that is a is a very well-curated data set that's end-to-end. Um so that that really does help. Um one of the key things that we really focus on is kind of underwriting to the kill chain and the kind of mitre attack framework is a it's a key piece of like how we structure some of that data. we apply that to underwriting. we apply that to claims and they kind of come together in a very common space. That's a good way to make sense of some of that more complicated cyber data plus you know some of the more complicated insurance data too um, that, that's definitely key
1: amazing. and um from our conversation, you know our prep call um all those weeks ago, it was clear to me that devops played a significant role in in your operations you know first of all, I'm always keen to know it's it's in such an evolving space and word devops you know what does it mean to you and and is has, has there been any obvious or are there any obvious challenges in of implementing you know devops as a uh, devops as a service you know especially regarding the such complex data access and security that is the space in insurance? So there's two questions
0: there. <laughs> no, absolutely, that's fine. It's a very broad topic. I could talk all day on it. Um,
1: I mean, it, it's,
0: it's a really key part of being able to be nimble and flexible in our platform architecture, right? Um, you know, we have some great DevOps people with good DevOps experience that really help us we'll probably come to this in a minute, but I mean, we're heavy users of containers and various pieces of infrastructure to aid microservicing and things like that. So like we're, we're, in, a, we're in a cloud space. We require DevOps to spin up infrastructure at scale, configure infrastructure at scale using code um, that could be checked in, reviewed and managed as part of your code base like you would for anything else in your stack. Um, so that's really helped us kind of bring infrastructure and kind of those sort of onboarding cloud services into the same code base as everything else we have. Um, but those people's experience really allows our developers to, you know, test develop in, you know, reasonably affordable environments that are close to what we have in our production uh, space. Um, and to your point, you know, extending DevOps, not 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 just keeping DevOps focused on engineering because it is development operations, but, you know, almost expanding that a little further, right? The, one of the key things I've been doing with with uh, people on my team who have that experience is to really kind of push some of those tools out to our actuary, our, you know, director of cyber. Like there's there's people that are kind of not necessarily directly in the engineering team, but they benefit from some of that, that tooling. So... Kind of kind of going outside of just the engineering space and kind of extending that out to a broader audience is a really important piece of how we kind of make sense of the data that we've spent time collecting and curating. So that's it's key. Um it's a broad topic. I mean, it, it powers CI CD, it powers a lot of our software development lifecycle. It's baked into everything we do. Um we're we're very, we're very Being in our business to make sure that our engineers have some experience of DevOps themselves so there isn't kind of a push to have a very like isolated function that does it I think you know my my kind of mantra is that all the engineers should have some experience of it with some key leaders in that space to help kind of guide all of the engineers to think and build in that way
1: yeah I mean as you say it's so broad I mean we could probably do a full episode just on that so yeah (laughs) Well, I'll move on. But I mean it's clear again from our chat, you know, you mentioned that your team deploys, you know, multiple times a day using CI C D. Um, it's clearly impacted in a positive way the way you can be so agile in how you guys perform um with your partners. In the insurance industry, I I'm always I'm always keen to kind of chat about different CTOs approach. And one of the approaches you mentioned to me, which I thought was interesting was your everything as a code approach like first of all could you explain what that is what is kind of everything as, as a code approach
0: yeah so it's funny we have like two two pieces there's everything as code and then no code at all um, so i could kind of go into both it's kind of interesting but um from an engineering perspective everything is code is just making sure that, you know, everything that we do on the engineering side, you know, related to our stack is uh, built out, configured and maintained as code. So um, I mentioned previously cloud infrastructure. So all of your infrastructure that you, you know, build and load into an environment is handled and managed through a code base. Um, Just as much as we have microservices built in Python, that's a code base. Um, just as much as we have a front end built in React, that's a code base. Your infrastructure is all code too. We don't manually configure anything um, at various levels within the infrastructure kind of space. Um, your cloud services are built out in code. Your containers are configured as part of your code base. Your you know, CI, CD pipelines and configuration around how we run tests is all in code. Getting at all of that, Plus your traditional kind of you know, Python front-end, back-end code together allows us to really kind of double down on the kind of software development lifecycle, code review process, um, you know, change management challenges that a lot of companies face because it's all part of the same kind of review process in terms of that code review side of things. So um it's really important because. It's also quicker, right? Once the code's checked in, it's deployed. When we make an infrastructure change, you change a line of code in your code, you deploy it after a review, it gets automatically rolled out. That change takes effect in the infrastructure and it's live. So um, it's a lot It's a lot less friction. There's a lot less, uh, less steps involved and it's very transparent across the team. We maintain diagrams and documentation for key parts of our platform. But frankly, that's um, usually for more external uh, audiences. Uh, Internally within the engineering team, because everything's in code, I can see the code. I kind of know what's going on. Like you don't need a diagram to necessarily describe it because it's there. So uh, getting into that space is critical. Uh, we were very fortunate at Converge. We started from scratch. It was a brand new platform. We could architect it, implement these different processes, from scratch. Uh, That's a very fortunate position, but um, we we took all of our experience that we've built up today and applied that as a brand new platform. That's definitely been a a big benefit. Mm -hmm. In the no-code space, I mean, that's everything in code really important on the engineering side. On the no-code side, you know, write your code, but then, you know, rely on that code to not have to be used externally by other parts of the business. They, they, They don't want any code And for certain changes in sort of configuration of our our insurance products, for example, and changes to those, uh, we've gone, we've spent a lot of time making sure that that's a no-code process, i.e. a user can make that change within the business that isn't necessarily involved in the engineering team and doesn't necessarily even have to come to the engineering team to make that change. That's a constant process that we're working on, but, that allows engineering to focus on building out new features and not necessarily having to support business all the time. So uh, in that space, you want no code. So it's kind of an interesting, everything in code, no code, different.
1: Mm. Yeah. And uh, how, how big is your team at the moment, engineering-wise? Like, How many of you are at Converge? So we we are seven now. Seven. seven. Yeah. And with that low-code approach, because that's the, we all know engineering is, Super expensive, particularly where you're located in the Bay Area. If you're looking for engineers there, um, and that's the the beautiful thing about low code or no code if it's done right, you, the engineering team can stay lean. Like for you, I think we spoke about it briefly in our again in our first call off camera. But how important is it for you at the stage, or is it is there a preference as you evolve and in an sure tech? Do you think you know, i.e., bringing someone in from engineering? Would you rather they came in with one or the other or both? In terms of, I would love to have an engineer that comes in to insure tech with insurance experience or insure tech experience. You know, has that domain knowledge, or would you rather have them on the more technical side of, you know, working with some some of the bleeding edge stuff that you've mentioned there. Everything is a code, um, no code. I think again you're using something really interesting in terms of uh, graph data models instead of relational databases like is it more important for you to have people from a really strong technical background or do you feel like that insurance domain is is really critical within tech and engineering
0: it depends well it depends what they're doing and, and and we're quite early stage so our core team n- none of us are insurance professionals i have colleagues that are definitely insurance professionals but uh, on the engineering side we've all had some good experience of working in the insure tech space, um, and specifically cyber insurance, which is very helpful from a context perspective early days. Um, I have a great core team that really have now got good experience in that space, but I, I definitely don't go out to market and look for candidates uh, that, that that's a requirement. If yeah. it's, if it's there, great, but it does depend what, what you're hiring for, uh, definitely on the front end side where we've got users that are insurance professionals, some experience there is, is definitely probably more important than if, if, if you're a, a back-end engineer working on data collection, for example, or yeah. APIs, maybe not so important, um, or, you know, are you, are you more involved with building out a digital rater and therefore, like, some experience of how things are rated and, and what actuarial processes happen there? I mean, that that's definitely a preference. So it does depend what, what you're kind of being primarily tasked to do. Uh, we're in a fortunate space where we work very closely with our insurance professional colleagues, and uh, we've gained a lot of experience from them. I think vice versa, they've gained a lot of experience from us on the engineering side. So um that's helped us kind of come up to a good level um i definitely wouldn't say it's a requirement though it's definitely uh preferred though if it is there
1: yeah yeah i know it's something i hear a lot it's always very much uh it's never an essential but um i think it's obviously advantageous but it's always interesting to get your take and i think that was really interesting maybe if it's on the front end then yes on the back end not so much um really going down to a more granular um, level. I guess, before we kind of conscious of your time, but before we finish up, I'm always keen to kind of unpack the culture of of one's company. You know, there's such early stages where it's constantly evolving. New people are coming in. Like, you know, as a hiring manager, as a, as, you know, now the CTO, um, what, is, what is the culture? What is the culture at Converse? do you think? Is it is it harbored on, you know, for example, something like the Lean Startup is constant iterations, constant innovation, collaboration. Like, How do you kind of define your startup um, culture at Converge?
0: I, I mean, people's everything. So hiring the right characters and people, uh, I, I'm, I'm really proud to have a very diverse team. Um, I really like that. That diversity brings lots of different ideas. Um, and diversity comes in many forms um, but yeah. that's important at the very heart of it um, a non-technic a non-people related answer is you know really going back to the architecture of what we've built from the very beginning um, we've architected something that really allows our engineers and any future engineers to join the company and innovate and try something we're very, very we, 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 we promote in the team, trying new ideas, and it's that age old thing, but that fail fast mentality is important, right? No idea is a bad idea. I mean, some are not great, but like no idea is a bad idea. Let's discuss it. Let's move quickly, implement it. If it doesn't work, throw it away. If you've got an architecture that allows you to run that POC, validate the output and the results of it quickly, and then productionize it quickly, then you are able to constantly innovate and take people's ideas and actually make them happen. Mm-hmm. Um, we we highly encourage that amongst the team. Um and that that I think helps when you're in the engineering space to kind of feel like you're able to, you know, grow in your role, uh, learn a new technology. Um, I think if if what you're building on and around as a platform isn't architecturally sound, that's quite hard to do and can get quite difficult. So um, it's a combination of people being willing to kind of have that idea, share it and run with it. Uh, But us having the architecture and the processes to be able to do it quickly and then decide if it worked or failed. Uh, And then don't ever be afraid to throw it away. No one ever kind of did anything wrong, came up with a bad idea. It's like, oh, it didn't work. Next thing. And yeah. we do that all the time. That's like part of our very kind of specific agile process. Uh, you've got to test things out, try them, get them in, see if it works. Um, some things are more kind of thoughtful than others. I mean, some things you can you can test and throw away quite easily. You mentioned earlier kind of graph database technology. We, we, we made a decision early on to commit to that and move away from relational database technology. Um, that's really helped the business, but it it, it comes with a risk because we we'd never actually applied it commercially as the kind of persistent store for our systems. Um, we went through a more arduous process to evaluate that decision, but I'm glad we did. Um, I think as part of that, you know, we 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 weren't afraid to try it though and see where it landed and it landed in the right place, and, and that's helped us. And you could you could use that example many times over in the business of how we've got to where we are today Mm. um there's there's great technology out there to help solve problems uh go out and try it out and see if it works um the it's 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 always been that way but it's getting even more important to have that mindset with ML and AI and all of the advancements in that space, that is not slowing down. That's getting faster. So you've got to have a system you can implement that around. Um, so, yeah, it's important to have both the mindset and the people, a good team. They do have that context, but they're not afraid to go and try it. And there's an architecture that supports it.
1: Mm. Well, clearly it comes starts from, you know, the leadership um those within those uh, respective roles like yourself and you foster that environment to allow these engineers to be able to come to the table with their ideas and and be able to fail at something and and that's okay we'll throw it away we'll start again because I think that's so important you know within engineering it's um you know so it can be quite an introverted space um and Mm -hmm. I just think that you know creating that environment which Clearly, just from listening to you speak, that's obviously an environment you've naturally created within your team. So, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds great. And, it's, and, and it's very
0: important, I think, um, on, you know, a team structure, from a team structure perspective, like, you've got to make sure that as 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 your engineers increase their experience, you know, those leaders can impart knowledge to new joiners and and there's a flow there. So that's very important too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and um, as I say, it's just nice to hear the way you speak about it so uh, organically. But as a closing point, um, I think you've kind of answered it, to be honest. You know, you talk about a lot about building from scratch and you got it was really down to getting the architecture, you know, really correct. But like, do you have any lessons that you've learned on this journey, scaling, converge and building something from scratch, you know, from a, from a build perspective that you think... Because there's lots of founders out there, there's lots of founding engineers, you know, that evolve into CTOs. They wonder what it takes to get it right on from a plain canvas. Like, do you have any kind of top tips at all that you're you're happy to share or divulge? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I
0: there's slightly more interesting ones, and then there's like there's the kind of age old sort of slightly more boring ones. I mean, the 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 more interesting ones definitely. I mean, I, I don't mean to harp on about architecture, but watch tech debt, right? Like if you can start out with a reasonable design and a good architecture to build from, always ask questions about what debt you're accruing in the tech side. Um, engineering teams get swamped by tech debt very quickly. And we we often go like, is that thing gonna introduce more debt later? I mean, there's always the option to hack it and get it out and release it. And it's it's there and it can be used, but is it gonna introduce more problems in six months? Um, but, the team's gonna have to use precious time to figure out and pay back that debt. So like watch tech debt, really kind of think about your architecture, think about how where you wanna be. We don't even know where we wanna be in 12 months sometimes, but like, is this something that's flexible enough to, to, to accommodate those kind of pivots, changes as you go? Startups pivot all the time, change direction. That architecture has to support that. So watch tech debt. The other piece that's not as interesting, but it it it's always helped. Um use the tools around planning and estimation to your advantage. I mean, there's plenty of good tools out there. We're a Jira shop, but there's other tools available. Um, you know, we're very diligent at making sure during sprint planning and you know, our processes that we're capturing story point estimates, what 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 are we estimating, what are we actually? doing what did we commit to what did we deliver like those things are the key way for you to know what you can estimate you're doing going forwards so we've been doing it now just over a year we have enough data now to be able to confidently estimate something going forwards because we're going to know what our load is we know what we can deliver in a certain time frame the system allows us to do certain things in certain ways in a certain turnaround time so using those tools to help with estimation is really key. I think in my position, you know, I've got to give estimates on when something will be done to the business, the board, other stakeholders. And that's important that we meet those deadlines, but as an engineering team around me and supporting me and the business, like you don't want to frustrate your team with bad estimates and delays and, and all of that stuff too. So you know, really kind of getting those processes and that data and those metrics together is key. Um, it's an easy one to kind of put to the side as you're under pressure to build and you want to get into code, write some code, deploy some code, get a feature out. But like those, those things really do help, um, I think, inspire confidence in your own team and from an engineering perspective, but also, you know, business and stakeholders. So, definitely yeah. focus on that that's the
1: boring one but it saved <laughs> no, me and is useful <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i think it's a it's a great way to finish the podcast some some golden nuggets of uh of insight there and advice um, and i'm sure will be great takeaways for those that listen um tom thank you very much for your time i know you're a busy man for coming on the podcast it's been it's been great to have you thank you so much